Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Scripture today comes from Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to begin with a little bit of a tangent, if you guys give me the permission to do so. Um, have you all ever stopped to consider how uh, what we do here on Sundays are a bit odd? That we, we gather in this borrowed room every single Sunday. We have like this little sing-along that we do together, right? We take turns confessing our brokenness and our sin, even though you guys haven't pre-screened what you're confessing. You just say it along with everyone else. Then you listen to someone speak for almost 30 minutes about some ancient text written in like a different world and a different culture and a different language, and somehow we think it's like authority over our life. I mean, this is kind of weird. And we used to take communion every Sunday, so like eating the body of Jesus and drinking his blood also made it a little bit weirder. But in particular, I've been thinking about sermons and how I think it's just an interesting thing, a sermon or a homily or a teaching. You know, we all call call it different things, a message, or as in the Southern Baptist background I had, which is like a good word. Hey, Brother Mark, good word today. Um, That's how I grew up. Um, But what we're doing here is actually tied to thousands of years of tradition from the days in which priests would fulfill their duties in the temple, or a prophet would have a declaration over a community. A rabbi would have a teaching in the synagogue. Even Jesus, we find him, this wandering teacher who would just share these messages, these sermons in different odd places, like from the hillside, or from a boat, or from the the temple courts. And even when you look at the story of the church in Acts, when when Jesus' spirit began to fill the people, there's this moment called Pentecost where the Spirit of God just began to indwell in people and dramatic things happened. The very first thing that took place right after that is that this man named Peter stood up and gave a sermon. It's like this byproduct of a life with God is this tradition that we have where we sit and we talk about what this ancient text has to say and apply to our life here and now. So what we're doing here is actually deeply rooted in this beautiful tradition. On this day, on this Sunday, countless numbers of churches are being filled and people are sharing messages. In every language, in every country, this is taking place. And we're a part of that tradition. And I just think that it's important to point out because we do these things every single week and we rarely talk about why we do them. And so I think it's important for us to point out why do we have this time dedicated? Why do you show up? in this way. And for me, what makes a sermon different than a TED Talk 
or anything else that we might find out there is that there is this beautiful intersection that can take place, that can take place in this moment. For me, it's an intersection of stories. In a sermon, what we have is we sit ourselves underneath this idea that God has a story that God's been writing through generations. And scripture is a telling of what God has been up to with humanity. And so we come here for these sermons in part because we want to know God's story. But then also in the sermon, the preacher, the teacher, has to bring their own perspective, their own experience, their own story. And then you guys show up in your community, as, as a community, and you bring your own story and experience. And for this to turn into something profound, all three parties have to show up. Like, I have to do my work, right? <laughs> With creativity and discernment, I have to think of what to say, right? Then you have to come with a sense of spiritual curiosity, wonder, hunger, you might even say. And then God has to show up. And in the midst of all of that, something unique can take place. This is why we have sermons. So thank you for my tangent. I just felt like it would be interesting to talk about why we do this weird thing. And with that in mind, I'd like for us to turn now to God's story, as we just heard, and set our, set our gaze upon this beautiful gospel that we have in Luke. For those who haven't been around, we've been reading through the gospel of Luke. Our goal is to read every single verse in 50 days, and we've been doing so through a podcast. And um, we also, uh, in this Sunday morning experience, we'll pause and we'll pull out one of the passages we just have read and heard read together. So in this passage, I love this story, by the way. I absolutely love this story here in the gospel of Luke. We find this in Luke 17, in verse 11, it begins, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Notice where Jesus is in this story. Where is he found? He's found along the border between Samaria and Galilee. I think this could just be a random bit of data, but I wonder if Luke is trying to point at something for us to consider, that Jesus was found at the intersection of spaces of great conflict. For those who might not know culturally in this day and age 2,000 years ago, there was great disdain between Samaritans and those from uh, the Jewish community. They despised one another. The Jewish community looked down on Samaritans for being considered half-breed, they were ethnically other, racially other. And the Samaritans despised the Jewish community for their blind elitism, for their hypocrisy, for their judgment. And Jesus here is strolling alongside the border in the middle of this place of great conflict and tension. I personally think the spirit of Jesus still is leading his followers along similar lines of contention, of disdain, of hostility. This past week, I spent some time with some pastor friends. Uh, we, uh, these guys are from St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, and uh, Rochester, New York. So we wanted to gather for a weekend, and they decided, how about not going up north, but actually going to San Diego. So I was there, and I spent my time with some friends, and a guy named Steve Weens was there, and he wrote a book that we did together as a community called Beginnings. One of my takeaways from that book that we 
read together a couple years ago was this idea and this word called ecotone. This is an ecological word that describes when two different landscapes meet, like when plains meet mountains or a forest meets a coast. Those unique places of intersection are called ecotones. Not surprisingly, um, Austin is considered one of them. The rolling hill country of the West meets the flat plains of East Austin right here along the Colorado River. Now, something unique about ecotones that I find absolutely fascinating is this word is actually from two different root words, echo meaning land and tone meaning tension. So when these two types of land masses touch one another, it's a place where the land feels tension. And if you were to talk to uh, different scientists, what they would say about these places of great tension is that life uniquely flourishes there. Like when these two different types of lands touch and butt up against each other, that there's this flourishing, there's this explosion of life that happens here. And it's, something, it's like something is released in those moments, in those spaces. I think that's the case not only with like our ecology, but I also think in our social dynamics, there's something unique that can take place when differences butt up with, against one another. It's not surprising to me that Jesus, as he's wandering around the Middle East, that he's attracted to the edges of society where tension is common, disdain is common, where things feel raw and conflict is at the surface. Jesus, the Savior, he's drawn to places like that. I'm becoming more and more convinced that the future of the Christian community, the future of the church, will be found in places like that. I don't think it'll be found in places of great ease or peace. I think the flourishing of the kingdom of God will be forged and created and sustained in places like this. Places that require peacemakers. People who have been uh, equipped with tools of empathy, with the ministry of healing and reconciliation that defies all the borders that we draw between one another. I think it's in those places where the kingdom of God begins to bubble up, where life flourishes. This is where I believe that we as followers of Jesus, we need to be willing to follow him in places like that, where we feel that tension to say, you're over there and we're over here. We draw lines between the church and the world, between us versus them. I think the future of the church belongs to people who see a whole different reality. And we find in Luke's gospel that Jesus leads his followers to that space. And it's there where they encounter these 10 men, these 10 lepers. It's in those places of great tension that are often abandoned. It's in those places that feel lifeless where a people... Uh, who have been rejected, people who feel like they've been left behind, where they have a tendency to go. And what we find here in this passage is that in this abandoned, desolate little place, that this little community had been formed. These 10 men, it's like the island of misfit toys. You know, like in, remember in the Rudolph, is the Rudolph movie, the island of misfit toys? This is where the rejects go. In this place, this place of tension, this this borderline between us and them, these 10 men who had a lot of differences, we find out. They should not be in community, but because they are found there, they experience this commonality. 
because they were all rejected. They were all diseased. They were all considered dangerous. And because they had this shared affliction of leprosy. This is what we know about leprosy. It feels like so old and ancient, but I think there's something for us to look at here. Leprosy has a long incubation period, anywhere from four months to several years until leprosy really comes to, uh, to action. Leprosy is also really, really contagious. You don't want to be around someone with leprosy. And the, the problem with leprosy is also it's numbing. We think of it as a skin disease, and it really is a skin disease, but the, the more dangerous part of it is it attacks the nervous system. And so people who have leprosy, uh, they experience neuropathy, where they can't feel parts of their body. They go, they go numb. They lose feeling. And the real danger is when you stop being able to feel your body, then you can be in pain, you can be damaging yourself and not even know it. Leprosy could, uh, could cripple a community if it wasn't handled correctly. That's why in the Old Testament we find like really harsh instructions of what someone should do if they are found with leprosy. Here is a good word from Leviticus. We love Leviticus. This might be someone's life verse. The person with such infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of his face and cry out, Unclean, unclean, as long as the infection has remained, as, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He, he must live outside the camp. Leviticus chapter 13, 45 through 46. Write it on your index card. Keep it at your mirror. You can memorize it if you want. What a rough life. Imagine this. Imagine this existence. Some, because of disease, they have to isolate. Like, they have to socially distance. They have to cover the lower part of their face. People like this have a tendency to let themselves go. They grow out their hair. Does this sound familiar to anyone else? Like, this is like what we've been through. Like, look at my hair. Come on. Unkempt. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, Rachel Held Evans, she wrote this beautiful book called The Year of Biblical Womanhood, where she, like, had to follow the Old Testament laws around what it meant to be a woman. It's really funny and really telling about how we read the Bible. I think we just collectively live the year of biblical leprosy. Socially distanced, covered, isolated, away from each other, fearful of this disease. I mean, seriously, guys, numbness, apathy, this is real. But somehow, these ten leopards, in the midst of being alone and rejected, in the midst of being abandoned in this desolate space, they heard about Jesus. How? I mean, how in the world did they find out about Jesus? Enough where they saw Jesus coming and they began to scream out for help. Well, they began to hear that Jesus maybe goes after the misfits, those who rejected. And so one day, Against all odds, Jesus starts walking their direction. Verse 12, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. With a loud voice, they're declaring that. And we, when he saw them, he said, a gracious, loving Jesus, go show yourselves to the priests. I mean, is Jesus just outsourcing a healing? Is he like, hey, that's, that's close enough, buddy. That's close enough. Uh, why don't you go to the temple instead of over here, right? But as they went, they were cleansed. It's an interesting response from Jesus. What is happening here? It seems like 
for me, when you read through the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels, it seems like Jesus chooses to do his good work in healing and meeting people through participation. Like Jesus is not going to force anything upon anyone else. Jesus is not going to impose a healing or his grace upon other people. Many times what we find in these Gospels is that Jesus invites people to express faith. He gives people the opportunity to respond with boldness and courage. And it's like this idea of participation is when healing is released. We find that in the woman who had been bleeding for years, her expression of faith was just to move herself through the crowd and touch the edge of his cloak. For the, for the centurion, for example, Jesus was coming to his house and he was like, he doesn't need to come. He just says the word and I know that he will be healed. What we find here in this moment we find this invitation of participation of, if you really want to be healed, if you really believe that I have the power to do it, why don't you go to the temple? Which is odd, because that's the place where they were kicked out, the source of shame, rejection. And Jesus is saying, start walking that way. Can you imagine the conversation between the ten lepers? Like, are we really going all the way to Jerusalem? The Samaritan's going, we're not even allowed in the temple. Someone goes, Wheel of Fortune's about to start. We can just head back. And somewhere along the way, and, you know, every time someone gets closer, I'll be unclean, they have to yell and get off the road, and then they get back to conversations. Somewhere along the way, what happened? Scripture said, as they went, they were cleansed. (laughs) Somewhere along the way, they began to get healed. Was it all of a sudden? Did it happen all of a sudden where they're like talking to each other and they're like, Fred, your nose. And they look at, no, no, your nose. Like, like, how did it happen? Was it like popcorn where one out of of the ten just became healed and, and whole? I don't know. But what we do know is this celebration probably took place that they could feel again, that Jesus had the ability to heal, to have mercy, and... What we do know is that for nine of them, that's where their story ended. That's the end of their story. So question, this is an all-play question for those who are here for the first time. We get awkward and we have a little discussion together. Why do you think the nine didn't return to Jesus? Yeah, they probably had family they'd like to see people they like to be with? Yeah, they're rule followers. Any firstborn out there, type A's? Well, Jesus, the greatest way I could honor Jesus is do what he says, and we're going to go to the temple now. Not a bad idea. Maybe other people had plans. Maybe they were afraid Jesus was a fast walker. We couldn't catch up with him. We don't know. But they moved on. I mean, there's part of me that would think, why did, why did Jesus send us away? Maybe he has more important things to do. But nine of them went on, and one of them returned. And notice why that one returned. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Why did he return? He returned because he wanted to worship. 
He wanted to thank Jesus. He wanted to express gratitude. And of course, if you guys have been reading along with me in the book of Luke, I love this little twist here in the story. What does Luke want to make sure we see? And he was a Samaritan. (laughs) Ethnically and racially other, someone who was held in usual disdain if you're someone from the Jewish community. And the one exemplar in the story is a Samaritan. The Samaritan experiences a deep transformation. The story begins, remember, on the outskirts of society in the place of tension, and here they return, he returns to Jesus fully restored. Notice that in this passage, and he came back praising God in a loud voice. We've met this leper because he was saying with a loud voice, pleading for help, pleading for healing. And here, once again, he has his loud voice and he's flipping it upside down. He's using it to say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That loud voice of a desperate plea turns into a loud voice of gratitude, of bold worship and praise. And once again, in Luke's gospel, the exemplar in this story is the outcast the religiously other, the, re- the reject. And the gospel of Jesus' grace transforms and moves them. The gospel of grace lifts them up, the one who is made low. I just wonder in modern times, I wonder to right now today who that would be. The person or the people group have heard in many different ways that they're second rate in God's kingdom, that they're unclean, they're not to be trusted, those who have felt rejected, by the religious community. I wonder who that would be in our day and age. Those who were said that they were untouchable and that they oftentimes found community in the outskirts of society where there's oftentimes abandonment, rejection, and this little community of belonging forms. And Jesus meets people there. It's like he's just drawn to those individuals to give them a new name, to restore them and to renew them. Jesus turned to this this man in loud worship. Jesus asked, hey, we're we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one else returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus had, for me, this is important to notice, that Jesus had hoped to see the other nine. This is the longing that Jesus has, is to take this in for a moment, that Jesus longs to hear people's words of gratitude. Jesus loves to hear it when you have thankfulness to express, that Jesus loves to hear worship by your praise. This is why we gather and worship. It's not like, do I get my cup filled and I'm leaving with encouragement and feeling a little bit better about my week. We also come here because God loves to hear you praise him. That God loves to hear gratitude spill from your life. He delights in it. And I think Jesus wanted to see these other nine and celebrate with them. But then Jesus looked at the one who came, one who was compelled out of gratitude, and he said this. He said, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This right here is a subtle second healing. There's like another miracle that's taking place. Jesus looks at this transformed man moved by gratitude and says, stand up. You no longer belong in the lowly position. Rise up. Your faith has healed you. 
That phrase, has made you well, could also be translated, made you whole. It could be translated, made you whole. Made you full, like you're a fully restored person. All of you has been made well. I would suggest that 10 people on that day experienced a healing, but one person was made whole. 10 people had this this, this affliction taken from them, but one person was fully restored. The first was that of skin. The other one was that of heart. The first was that on the service, and the other one experienced restoration from the inside. The curing of le- leprosy was not insignificant, but that was just the opening act of what Jesus really wanted to do. And this all happened, friends, because of gratitude. I think there's an interesting thing. There's this interesting interplay between leprosy and and gratitude. I think those two things are a little bit connected. I wonder if there's something, there's a deeper wisdom to the story about that. The disease of ingratitude, it's less obvious than leprosy and maybe even more dangerous. Let's look at the similarities. So leprosy and ingratitude, there's a long incubation period. Ingratitude might take a long time to form in us. Slowly, though, expectations might begin to rise in our life and thankfulness might start going down. And when it fully is formed, when it's rampant in our system, entitlement might be there. Self-centeredness, narcissism can take place. Ingratitude. Ingratitude is also contagious. When you're around someone who expects a lot and doesn't express much thankfulness, doesn't that rub off? And the opposites also choose. When you're around someone who just delights in the small things in life, don't you kind of awaken a little bit? Don't you begin to see of like, oh yeah, the ability that we have to like turn on water out of the sink and be able to wash our hands and our, I mean, just this week, right? Like who's grateful for tap water? I am, I know that for sure. But ingratitude's contagious. Has anyone been to a, a, another country that in many ways socially and economically is lower standings than us here in Austin, Texas? And when you arrive there with the little that they have, you are um, woken up by the abundant gratitude that that community has for life and the beautiful, the beautiful aspects of life. Anyone have that experience? Like, I just feel like this disease is really contagious. And lastly, ingratitude, it's numbing. Remember, the real problem of leprosy is not just a skin disease, but it attacks the nervous system. It causes you to go numb. You lose feeling. Many of us, we might feel numb to all the gifts that God has given us. This endless river of grace that we have in Jesus, the idea that you are fully received in Jesus, you're forgiven, you're made new, And it's just a cliche. It doesn't really mean anything. This fact that the deepest part of you is beloved, like that's the greatest role you'll ever play in this life. It's just a cliche. Ingratitude can make us numb. I've thought like to myself, what if like only one night a year do stars come out? Like what if, what would happen socially in our world that like, we lived where there's, like, just clouds above us every single night. We didn't see what was going on in the universe. But one night a year, 
those clouds are peeled back. What do you think would happen? Everyone would drive out of our city. We would go to Snook, Texas, or Bastrop. You know, we would go, to, we would go out to the furthest part away we could from the, the lights of our city. We would keep our kids awake all night. We would drink espresso, and we would look at the stars, take them in probably the whole night. And many of us have gone years without laying on our back, taking in the splendid, unbelievable nature of the universe. Why? It's always there. (laughs) And somewhere in that, I mean, that's just kind of the spiritual nature of our life and with gratitude. The forgiveness and the grace of Jesus is always here, so... Why do, would we actually appreciate it? Why would we be moved by gratitude? I think if I were to ask people, what is the one characteristic that Christians should be known for? I, I doubt that gratitude would be number one. Compassion, holiness, truth, boldness, love. Yeah, but what about gratitude? What if people who have been marked by a forgiveness and a grace that runs deeper than anything else we could ever understand or appreciate, why wouldn't we be known as Grateful people. That is what I think we should be called. Paul describes this in Romans 1 when people experience um, this type of ingratitude, this numbing ingratitude. This is what he says in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor they gave thanks to him. Notice that they neither glorified or gave thanks to God but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Did you notice? This is what happens when ingratitude settles in, that their thinking becomes futile and their hearts, their foolish hearts are darkened. We might think it's enough to know about God, but that doesn't seem to be enough. That's actually just the platform for us to be able to experience what is more important, which is to be moved in gratitude if not, our thinking will be futile and our, our love will be foolish. But gratitude keeps us awake. It helps us feel again. It cleanses us. And today, you might feel a little bit like a leper. Perhaps you have grown numb to life, to the gift of God. Maybe you've grown accustomed to certain titles that have been given to you, that you're unclean, you've been rejected, too far gone. Maybe you have made peace with isolation and loneliness, or maybe you've been like the other nine lepers. Maybe you, somewhere along the way, you heard and experienced a healing, and then you got on with your life. And it's been a while before, since you've returned to the feet of Christ, just to say thank you. Thank you. And like the other nine, that one leper found himself back at the feet of Jesus to say thank you, and overwhelming from his heart was this gratitude. And Jesus moved out of love for those words, grabbed him by the hand, said, rise up. May your faith, may your gratitude continue to make you whole. So Vine community, let us rise up. Let us stand now even in worship with one another and let us express our gratitude to the one who knows us who finds us wherever we are and makes us whole together. Amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. 
If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.